Daniel's heart's heavy with what he's going to pray about, but he doesn't begin with his request. It's not to say we can never do that, but far more often you see the prayers of Scripture beginning with reminding yourself and God that you understand who He is. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What's the most impactful thing you've prayed for? How about the restoration and salvation of an entire nation? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will begin a new eight-part series titled 70 Years and 70 Weeks. Tom will examine Daniel chapter 9, which can be summarized as God's revelation of a sweeping prophetic timeline of Israel's history from the time of Daniel the prophet to the end of this age. And this amazing revelation comes in answer to the prayer of Daniel. You'll also discover that when the righteous cry out, the Lord hears. Do you believe that? And Tom, can you briefly outline what was occurring in the history of Israel at the beginning of the book of Daniel? Daniel's prophecy begins in the year 605 B.C. It's the year that a 15-year-old young man named Daniel and his three Hebrew friends were taken to Babylon and there were in captivity for many years to come. When we come to Daniel chapter 9, We've seen a number of important incidents unfold in Babylon while Daniel served there. But chapter 9 brings us to Daniel's old age. He's probably 82 years of age. It's in the year 538 B.C. And Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah and comes across the prophecy that Jeremiah made of how long God's people would be in captivity. And he prays. And in answer to that prayer, God lays out for Daniel and for us a historic, monumental timeline of human history and of Israel's history. That's what we'll learn together. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. John Owen, the great English Puritan, laid down this one simple principle. He said, what a person is in secret on his knees before God is what he truly is and nothing more. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? What you are on your knees before God in secret is what you really are and nothing more. Tonight, we learn who Daniel really was because we come in our study of Daniel's prophecy to the ninth chapter. And the ninth chapter of Daniel records his prayer on behalf of his people and God's answer to that prayer. It's one of the longest prayers that are recorded in the Bible. It's also one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. And I will add, I think by the time we're done, you will see it is one of the most helpful prayers in the Bible. Because 2,500 years after it was prayed and written, it still provides a wonderful pattern for our prayers today to follow. So when we come to Daniel 9, let me summarize the chapter in this way. Here in this chapter, God reveals a sweeping prophetic timeline of Israel's history from the time of Daniel the prophet to the end of this age. 
a sweeping prophetic timeline of Israel's history, and this amazing revelation comes in answer to the prayer of Daniel. I've often been reminded of the psalmist's words and how short we sell them when he says, the righteous cry and the Lord hears. Do you believe that? The righteous cry and the Lord hears. Daniel 9 is a story of that reality. Now, this chapter divides easily into two parts. You have in verses 1 to 19, Daniel's prayer, and then in verses 20 to 27, you have God's response. Tonight, we're going to consider Daniel's prayer. Let's call it a prayer for the end of Israel's captivity. A prayer for the end of Israel's captivity. It's the theme of verses 1 to 19. Verse 1 begins with the occasion of the prayer. Notice what Daniel writes. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. First of all, we just need to be reminded who this historical person is. Darius, we can't be absolutely sure, but there are two possibilities. He may have been the governor under Cyrus, or Darius may actually be a title for Cyrus himself, the first ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. We can't be absolutely certain, and there are good arguments both ways. Either way, though, his first year would have been the year 538 B.C. So chapter 9 then occurs approximately 12 years after chapter 8. You remember back in chapter 1, we saw that when Daniel was taken captive to Babylon in the year 605 B.C., he was around 15 years of age, somewhere in his middle teenage years. So if you do the math, that means in 538 B.C., Daniel would have been almost 82 years old. That's when these events unfold. Now notice that it's the first year of Darius. He's described, however, as the son of Ahasuerus. Now, don't confuse this with the Ahasuerus who married Esther in Esther 1.1. He ruled about 50 years later. Ahasuerus was not a personal name but a title, and so here you meet another person with this title. Verse 1 says, Darius was of Median descent. If this is referring to Cyrus, we know he was actually a Persian. His father was a Persian, but his mother was Median. And in Jewish reckoning, a child with a mixed marriage was described according to his mother's descent. So he was of Median descent. Notice that expression, who was made king. That probably refers to God's sovereignty in placing him in his position. We've seen God sovereignly raising up rulers and putting them down throughout this book, and here's just another reminder, he was made king by God. God placed him, notice, over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, that is, over all of the territory previously contained within the Babylonian empire as he came to power with Medo-Persia. That's the occasion for the prayer. It was in the year 538 under Darius the Mede. A major change has taken place in kingdoms. 
Verse 2 brings us to the reason for this prayer. Notice, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Now, first of all, I want you to notice something unusual here in Daniel. You'll notice that the word Lord is in all capitals. You'll remember that when that happens in the Old Testament, that is an indication that we are dealing with God's personal name. It's the name Yahweh in Hebrew. It appears nowhere else in Daniel, but it appears seven times in this chapter. Why is that? Because it is in Daniel's prayer to his God, and Yahweh is God's covenant name, the name by which he had made himself known to his people and through which he had made promises to his people. So Daniel appears or appeals in his prayer to that covenant relationship that Yahweh has with his people, and he calls him by his covenant name, Yahweh, seven times. Now, in this verse, we learn not only was Daniel a man of prayer, we've already seen that, right? Back in chapter 6, you remember three times a day, he went into his chamber and opened his windows toward Jerusalem, and he prayed. That was the regular pattern of his life. But he wasn't only a man of prayer, he was a man of Scripture, Notice the books. I, Daniel, observed in the books. Daniel is involved in Bible study. That's what he's doing. Not only was he regularly engaged in prayer, but he was engaged in the reading and study of God's Word. The books is literally in Hebrew the writings. It's a technical term for the Hebrew Bible. It included all of the Scripture available in Daniel's day, and obviously, because we're told here, it included the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, by the way, was was an older contemporary of Daniel. Jeremiah prophesied from about the year 627 B.C., possibly to as late as 561, so during the time Daniel was in Babylon. By the way, let me just stop and add this underscores that the writings of the prophets were accepted as Scripture even during their lifetimes. Daniel is looking at the writings, the Scripture, and that includes the writing of a prophet who was a contemporary of his. How were they accepted? Well, if they met the biblical qualifications of a prophet laid down in the book of Deuteronomy, they were accepted even in their lifetime, even if they were hated. They were accepted as a spokesperson for God. Notice also that Daniel refers to what Jeremiah wrote. Notice this expression, as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. Daniel believed in verbal inspiration. He believed Jeremiah wrote the very word of God, the words of God. He goes on to say, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, notice this, the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, the number of the years specifically for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel specifically observed in Jeremiah the number of years Literally, the Hebrew says, to completely fill up the desolations of Jerusalem. He understood from Scripture exactly how long the incredible devastation to Jerusalem 
had to last, and it had to last for 70 years. Where did he learn this? Well, turn to Jeremiah, and let's see exactly what Daniel read. Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, and I'll begin in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now every one from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell in the land which the Lord has given you and your forefathers forever and ever, and do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. You, you see God's grace here. He's appealing again and again and again to these people. Verse 7, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, all of the normal joys of life and even the normal industry of life. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. There it is. Then it will be, when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pro uh, pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all nations." Jeremiah delivered this first prophecy of the 70-year Babylonian exile in the year 605 B.C. That's the year Daniel was taken to Babylon. That's when Daniel was about 15 years old. Sometime after 597, and I won't take you through all the ways I know that, but basically sometime after 597, Jeremiah again confirmed that the exile would last 70 years. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. And again, you can read, starting in verse 1, the same sort of description of what God is going to do and how the people, once they arrive in Babylon, are to live, beginning in verse 4. Tell the exiles, build houses, verse 5, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become fathers of sons and daughters. In other words, live, multiply, verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Don't let the prophets tell you something else. It's, gonna, it's not going to happen like that. Verse 10, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And here's a verse that's so often taken out of context. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So this is the passage. These are the two passages that Daniel the prophet read in his study of the Word of God. Now, it was 70 years, but the question is why? Why 70 years? Well, Scripture is clear about that. Every seventh year of the Jewish calendar was to be a Sabbath year in which the land was not to be actively farmed. God promised that He would provide for them in that year and the following year as they planted. In fact, look at Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 describes this, lays out this command. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, yourself and your male and female slaves, your hired man, so forth, who live with you. Well, how is this going to work? Go down to verse 18. You carry out what I told you. You will live securely on the land. The land will yield its produce so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year? Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it shall bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crop comes in. God says, basically, you take every seventh year and you let the land rest. You trust me to provide, and I will provide for you. It was a test of their obedience to God. But in their greed and their disregard for God and His law, Israel ignored that command. And God had said, if you don't do this, exile comes. Leviticus 26, verse 34, if you do this, then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. I'm going to send you into exile. The land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of the desolation while you're in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. For all the days of its desolations, it will observe the rest, which it did not observe on your Sabbaths while you were living on. In other words, God says, I'm going to catch up. You're going to be removed from the land, and the land is going to be able to catch up the Sabbaths. And so this is exactly what happened. Second Chronicles 36 says that Nebuchadnezzar carried away the people to Babylon. They were servants to him. Notice, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Now, if you do the math, 70 years, that means Israel had not kept the required Sabbath years for 490 years. Each one of those 70 years made up for 
a seventh year that had been skipped. So for 490 years. In other words, from the time of Saul to the time of the Babylonian captivity, Israel had not obeyed this command of God. The 70 years of captivity was at least in part God's punishment for their violation of the Sabbath law. 70 years. Now, we've talked about the fact that it is 70 years and why 70 years, but how exactly are the 70 years calculated? Well, there are two primary views of how the timeline of the 70 years of captivity unfolds, and both of them have to do with the starting year. The first view says the 70 years starts in the year 605 B.C. and lasts to 536, 535 B.C., when the people are back in the land and, the, and they begin the process of restoration. Why 605? Well, that was the year the first Jewish captives, including Daniel, were taken to Babylon. That was the year that Judah first came under the authority of Babylon. And 605 was the year when Jeremiah first prophesied about the 70 years. We saw that in the first prophecy in chapter 25 of Jeremiah. Others say, no, it actually begins when the city and the temple are destroyed in 586 B.C., and it lasts to 516, 515 B.C. This is all based on the temple. The temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., and the temple rebuilding was completed in 516, 515 B.C. These are the two basic views. So which is true? Well, Remember, Daniel is, is praying this prayer and studying Jeremiah in the year 538. That's when he prays this prayer, and that's when he believes the end of captivity is very close. So it seems likely that Daniel was operating off the first timeline. By the way, we learn something else about Daniel's view of Scripture here in what he says as he says, I... I prayed about these 70 years. Daniel believed the Bible contained predictive prophecy. And Daniel believed that that predictive prophecy should be interpreted literally. He didn't spiritualize the 70 years. He did the math. So these are, these are explaining to us this 70-year period and specifically the reason for his prayer as he studied Jeremiah's prophecy. Now that brings us to verse 3 and the attitudes that just come seeping out of Daniel as he prays. Verse 3 gives us the attitudes of prayer that were so much a part of his life. I'll call the first one single-mindedness. Call it determination. Call it focus whatever you like, but the bottom line is, notice verse 3 says, so I gave my attention to the Lord God. Literally, the Hebrew says, I gave my face to the Lord God. I looked at Him, and I just kept looking. He was determined to look to God in prayer. This is how we should pray as well. He also prayed with faith, Notice verse 3 says, so I gave my attention to the Lord God. The Hebrew word in lowercase letters, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, is not Yahweh. That is the Hebrew word Adonai. 
It refers to God as the owner, the ruler, the sovereign of all things. This is a recognition of God's power and authority. Why would Daniel refer to God as Adonai? One commentator, Miller, writes this, not only was he able to hear Daniel's prayer, but he had the power to direct the affairs of world history in order to answer. He is Adonai, the the ruler, the sovereign one. And Daniel was committed to that reality. He had faith in the God who could move history. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, 70 Years and 70 Weeks. Tom will have part two for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? What does the Bible say about church membership? In Tom Pennington's book, Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member, he identifies three non-negotiable hallmarks that should characterize every church member. Tom will challenge you to assess your own church membership to determine if you're meeting those hallmarks, not only for the health of your church, but for the glory of the one who gave his life for it, the Lord Jesus Christ. Purchase your copy of Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music